uh, welcome to the Christian Church of Essence Park. We are disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. Can you imagine a better way to spend our lives? Great stuff. Well, you made it today in a snowy day, so thank you for being here. Otherwise, it would have been very lonely uh, for me. So I'm glad that you're here. Uh, since you are, if you wouldn't mind, take out your uh, bulletin. Hopefully, you all got one. And uh, some good things in there for you, great tools for discipleship that we put together every week for you. And inside, if you locate that green connection card, that wonderful card that looks like this, take that out. If, if you don't find one, there's one in the seat front pocket in the chair in front of yours. Uh, so uh, you can take that out and be filling out for me. I would sure appreciate it. This is our first service. And then later on at the service, you could drop this in the offering basket. Of course, for all of our guests that are with us today, the uh, if you're... New with us, maybe your first, second time, I want to say welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, always great to meet new folks, and uh, um, you can just fill out whatever you feel comfortable filling out, and then along with everyone else at the end of the service, you can drop this in the offering basket. Um, but uh, a couple things for, I guess, if you wouldn't mind, to tell us how you heard about us. That's really important. We are very, uh, we have a, we want to reach this valley with the great news about who Christ is and what he can do, and uh, we really want to saturate it. It helps us know how we uh, getting the word out, how we're reaching our communities. If you tell us how you heard about us, uh, we would be appreciative of that, and that's on that bottom line there on the connection card on the front side there. And uh, a way of saying thanks to our guests for being here and for playing along. We do have a gift for you because everybody likes presents, and that's this. It's the Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, a great book, and you could pick up your own free copy. There's a big pile of them right there by the, the double doors there as you, uh, as you head out this morning. Our way of saying thanks for being here. Good stuff. Also, as you're filling that out, let me go through just a couple of announcements, some things that are uh, coming up, some really fun things that are happening today. The first one is our 5x5x5 five by five by five reading plan. Uh, it is the beginning of the year, and don't worry if you, you know, so a lot of times people say, at the beginning of the year, I want to make a, a uh, I'm going to make a commitment to myself. I'm going to build, grow myself spiritually this year. I'm going to read the Bible. And uh, usually about this time is when all of those resolutions start to fall apart because you're learning a new habit. Don't worry about it. Just re-resolute. And if you would like to know how you could read through maybe the whole New Testament in a year, you could do it in five minutes a day. And that's what the 5 by 5 by 5 plan is all about. And uh, we have a bunch of them. They're in the back there on the resource tables on that far back corner there that looks a lot like this. It, uh, five minutes a day, five days a week, five ways to dig deeper. My son and I are doing this together. It's really fantastic and I encourage you to start. Don't worry if you're late. Don't worry about the, you started late, uh, just just start, and uh, you'll be amazed. It's a, it's really a great thing. So uh, take advantage of that, and then every week, if you've been doing it, we do have the um, fill-in sheets for you also on that back table. Or, I guess, look at that. There's even one in your bulletin uh, right there. So that's what this is all about. Good stuff. Also, our Going Deeper class, for we are disciples of Jesus, that build disciples of Jesus. But, of course, we know that a lot of folks came to Christ and then no one ever discipled them. So they're like, how am I supposed to make disciples if I've never been discipled? Well, don't worry. We've got you covered. Uh, Mark and Natasha will be teaching a, a Going Deeper class starting. And now, in here, it says the 4th. But that's, we're not going to start on February 4th because there happens to be a big football game that day that a lot of people think it's a national holiday. So we're going to start the 11th, <laughs> right? And so... But if you're interested, sign that. In the last week, a bunch of folks signed up for it. Um, if you still want to be a part of that class, um, there's room for you. And so this is how you can sign up for it. It's six weeks. Um, there's Actually, it's two six-week sections. The second week is obviously optional, uh, second six weeks. But uh, the sign-up for it is on your connection card. If you would take... Uh, on there and just write going deeper on there. We will get uh, make sure we have your contact information, your email, all that kind of stuff. We will uh, put you on the, the list for that class, and then you'll get all the information and, uh, and the details on this. So good stuff. 
and you can read about it. What we got next? Today is uh, our newcomer's reception. Yeah, every couple months we like to do a newcomer's reception and chance to, to meet some of you folks. If you've been here for a couple months with us and um, just chance for me and the other staff to get to know you better, after each service or after this service, I'm going to be in the prayer room, which is right, um, right around there. Uh, it's adjacent from the bathrooms. It's a, it's a room. If you look inside a room and I'm there, you'll know you found it. And uh, this is a way for me to get to know you better. If you have questions about the church or anything like that, good chance to, to ask those. So good stuff. Very good thing. And uh, then our annual meeting is February 24th. It's coming up. And so if you are a member of the church, we invite you to, to be there. Very important. Talk about some of our plans for the upcoming year. What are the things that are going to be happening? Uh, we, uh, it's, it's a great time. They look at the budget and all kinds of those businessy things too. But really vision casting. Where are we going as a church in this next year? So if you are a member, we encourage you to be there. Also, if you're a member, we're taking elder nominations. So if there's somebody in the church that you see fits the qualifications of elder, that is you fine and and uh, first, second Timothy, Titus, and you're looking at the, uh, what they were, who that person might be. Write that on there. Now, obviously, you'd be a member to, to nominate somebody, but uh, we will look at that and, and pray over it, and uh, that'll be good. So, all the other announcements, please uh, read this yellow sheet of paper. It's got all kinds of good stuff of what's happening there. So, uh, read those good things. All right. Hopefully, I gave you enough time to fill out your connection card. All right. So, let's get to it. We're in the middle of Daniel, and. Uh, this is our part two, right? Because part one was about kind of the first six chapters, talk about kind of his life and, and gives you some context as to how God works on the individual scale. And the second six, obviously, Daniel is going through and he's giving, uh, these are the prophecies. These are visions that Daniel received dealing with things. And there's four major prophecies in the last six chapters uh, that we see happening. Now, the first ones, uh, the first two that we've gone through already really deal with uh, nations, right? They, they deal with empires. So, so uh, we saw like four crazy beasts that came from the sea, and then we find out that those uh, were, you have the, the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greek, and the Roman empires, and pointing to when the time of the Messiah would come, the times of the, the end of the Old Covenant. And then last week we got to look at another great uh, prophecy that dealt with that as well, look, really looking at the second and third empires, the, the Persians and the Greek. Well, today we're going to start, I would say, the most difficult passage in all of Scripture, and we're going to take the easiest part of it first, right? Uh, and uh, today it's, uh, it's, a, it's a prophecy that begins with the prayer. And we're going to look at that prayer today. It's a, it's a prayer of, of penitence and a very important thing. And so uh, smart enough to say sorry. And I think that uh, it's important for us to realize, even the prophets, and, and they lived in real world, real time, real space, all the kind of stuff, same God. Right, that nobody is perfect, right? And it talks about the character of our God and the promise of our God as he deals with nations and people. And it's a really a powerful prayer, and uh, it's important for us to, to just take some time and really focus in on it and see how it applies to us. Now, there is a verse in the Bible that was written before Daniel actually had this prayer, which I imagine may have been on his mind, and so we're going to memorize it together today. And this will be the longest memory verse that you will have this whole series, but it's something that many people know. It's Chronicles 714. Chronicles is a book of history of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, all this kind of stuff. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Isn't that an amazing promise? Yeah, and I imagine Daniel, when he was praying this, was appealing to God on the character of God based on this promise. It's pretty good stuff. So let's say it together. Let's, let's get this memorized. Here we go. If my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Chronicles seven fourteen. Now, amazing. Of course, it's difficult. You have a Bible memory verse card in your bulletin. But think how amazing and powerful this passage is. It talks about changing the course of nations. Right? Taking, removing the, the course of a nation from a, from a, from a direction of curse to a, a direction of healing and blessing. Think how amazing that is. And that God in his mercy, what he will do for a nation based upon the people that are called by his name. I think a lot of times in culture we expect those that are not called by his name to turn from their wicked ways. But God says, no, you need to start with, with his house. And we have the ability to humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways and seek his face. And there's a promise of restoration. So let's memorize that. Take that this week. And we'll talk about today how it actually looks like, what this passage looks like in, in practice. Because there was a prophet who practiced it. And it was in Daniel chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open up to that. It's on page 621 if you have one of our Bibles. If you forgot your Bible or you don't have one, we've got plenty of them in the back. I encourage you to take one because it's good to get there. If you need a Bible, keep it. Our gift to you. Uh, it's always nice to be able to read God's Word and we want everyone to make sure they have access to it. Now, in, in Daniel chapter 9, this is a, a beautiful example of confessing sin. Right, Starting the, the first uh, portion of it. It's a... It's akin to the prayer of David that we read in Psalm 51. If you are interested in kind of seeing uh, two passages in Scripture where, where godly people had, had gone to him and said, this is what it's like to repent. Um, what does it mean to, to confess sin and to really seek God? They're great examples there. So here's uh, Daniel, uh, Psalm 51, you can look at with uh, David. It's a, it's a wonderful blessing that we in Christians would enjoy. That there's grace. Our God is not just a just God, but he's also a merciful God. And that we can go to him. He's not like, we don't have to, to try to justify ourselves before him. If we are wrong, you know, we could admit it. And he doesn't just zap you with lightning, right? He's not just up there waiting for you to say, ha I told you so, and then destroy us. His heart is to heal and to restore, and he's a merciful God. So Daniel's prayer in this chapter it, it provides us insight into the art of confessing sin. What is, how do we even do that? And disciples, that build disciples, we need to start by making sure that we even know how to <laughs> confess sin, right? So we'll get into it. Now, the setting of this, if you re- read there in uh, Daniel 9, uh, verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made rule over Babylon's kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel understood from scriptures according to the word of the Lord that was given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. That's a pretty powerful thing. It was the first year of Darius' son. Okay, so we see that, that the Babylonian Empire had fallen now and we were in the Persian Empire at the very beginning. And, uh, and that gives us a time period. This was the year 538 B.C. is when this happened. And the prophet Daniel, he realized that this was about uh, 14 years after the events that took place in chapter 8. Okay, so the time period. He first had his, his first vision in chapter 7. Seven years later, he has his second vision. 
which was a chapter 8, then it talked about the Greek and the Persian empires. And seven years later, he finds himself here. This is when this event took place. Now, the reason for the prayer is we see this. Daniel knew that, the, that a prophecy of Jeremiah. And so we're going to look at the prophecy from Jeremiah. That Daniel, even though he's a prophet, recognized that God had spoken. And Der- Jeremiah, he prophesied at the time that Daniel was a young child. In fact, Jeremiah was prophesying all the way up to the point when Daniel gets carried off into captivity. And so as a young man... Daniel, who was well-educated and was in Jerusalem and would have known the prophet most likely, at least known very much about him, would have known these prophecies because they came true. (laughs) And he saw God's power, and he knew that there was a promise in the prophecy of, of Jeremiah that the people of God would go into captivity in Babylon and would last 70 years. So he knew the time was coming up. In fact, it would just be two more years, and then the 70 years would be up. And so Daniel goes to God because uh, he knows that he needs to humble himself and pray because he doesn't want to see what happened and that led him to captivity to continue. And so we see Jeremiah 25. This is the prophecy starting in verse 9. It says, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. It's the beginning. Now this is cool because this happened. Uh, this was prophesied about a year before Babylon uh, conquered Jerusalem. So about a year in advance, Daniel would have been a preteen, probably, a young man. And he says that Babylon's going to come down. It's going to be Nebuchadnezzar. And God calls him my servant, which I think is interesting because the people of God say, where are you? And God said, I'm using another nation to punish you right now, to discipline. And it says, and this is what he says, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against the surrounding nations. God is prophesying, not only the people of Israel were thinking to themselves, we are safe because we live in Jerusalem, and the temple of God is here, and God certainly will not use pagans to destroy us. We are safe. Even though they ignored God and did what they wanted to do, they thought because they had this heritage and they had the holy relics that they were fine. And God said, no, no, no. I'm going to bring Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, and he's going to come down, and he's not just going to take over Babel, he's not going to take over Jerusalem, he's going to take over all the surrounding nations. It's going to be an empire. God prophesied it. And then it says, And I will completely destroy them, and I will make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. <laughs> right? That's pretty big. I'd say that the, the destruction for Babylon will be uh, unmitigated. It's coming. And then it says, And I will banish them from the sound of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and bridegroom, the sound of the millstone, and the light of the lamp, that your cities will be absolutely devastated. There are going to be any of those things that are going on in there. And not only that, he says this whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Isn't that cool? There's a time period. And then what happens after that 70 years? Well, he says, but when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and I will make it desolate forever. Seventy years. Daniel knew this. He was a young man when this prophecy came out. He was in Jerusalem. I imagine the people in Jerusalem probably talked about this a little bit. You think so? God put their prophet there. He writes out. He says, Babylon's coming. I imagine there were debates around the, the kitchen table over this whole thing. About 70 years and knowing this. And when Daniel gets taken captive into Babylon, do you think that he thought about this? And he didn't know if he was going to see the end of it. But the 70 years began in 605 when 
Nebuchadnezzar came, took Daniel captive, and sacked the temple for the first time. That's when it began. The seven years then would end in the year 536, just two short years after Daniel offers this prayer. The context for it, 14 years before Daniel prays this prayer, remember he was given a vision that the people would, would have the temple again, right? That there would be sacrifices again, but when the Greeks came, God was going to bring a, a person that would end the sacrifices once again <laughs> because the people had once again became wicked. That's a lot to take in. So what does Daniel do? Knowing the sovereignty of God, knowing the plan of history, knowing that the temple will be rebuilt, that God kept his, is going to keep his word, that the people are going to go back in just a couple short years. Well, he humbles himself and he prays. That's what he does. And so we see in verse 3 that Daniel, he set his face towards the Lord God. He starts, he prays, he actually faces towards Jerusalem. I think it's pretty interesting. Which he had always done. We read earlier on, remember in, in, when, uh, in chapter 6 of Daniel, and he's, uh, he's in the lions and all these things. He was in the practice. He always prayed towards the, the Holy Land. He knew God was everywhere. But it was a symbol for him saying, God, you are still God. And even though that plan lies in, in waste right now, the, my, the land of my home, I know that you're bringing us back. And how does he go to God? Because this is a righteous man. Right? This is a guy that over his entire career in Babylon, he is an old man by now, by the way. He's probably in his 80s, late 80s. He had lived faithfully amongst these pagans. And it cost him dearly at times, right? I mean, over and over, and through his life, the first six chapters, we see that there were some, some high costs for Daniel. At first, he had to give up eating good food, right? He had to eat vegetables. And he had done that for the rest of his life in this land. While everybody else got to eat all kinds of stuff, he decided he was just going to eat very simply. And not only that, he had to go through and, and uh, there were times that he was being trapped by, by the political people because they wanted to kick him out of office. So they would throw him into like lion's dens and they would do all kinds of crazy things like that trying to, to scare him. And He stayed faithful. This is a righteous man. Does he go to God just saying, out of my own self-righteousness, God, you, you deserve this? You, you know, wearing his robes and going to God in his power? Verse 3, he does not. He says, it's this righteous, powerful man. He says, so I turned the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. Let me tell you, sackcloth and ashes, that's basically uh, you put on the worst, most uncomfortable clothes. You're wearing a coffee bag, right? And you're just, that's what you're wearing. And you throw ashes on yourself, basically saying, God, I'm of worthless because <laughs> I've sinned against you, right? I'm, I'm basically dead, <laughs> Because of my unrighteousness. I have nothing in me that, uh, that deserves you even listen to. I am completely grieved at who I am and what I have done. That's a position of humility, isn't it? And you look at who Daniel was, and was he doing it fake? Was it just a show? No, he was genuinely grieved. But he wasn't grieved for personal sin. He was grieved because he was part of a nation that had corporately sinned, and he was part of that. And the grief was real, and so he goes to God, not out of pride, but out of humility. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. And that's exactly what he did. Now, we see that uh, Daniel has his confession, and he starts in verse 4. Here's his prayer, which I think is amazing. He says, I prayed the Lord God and confessed. And going to God, he didn't go to God and 
give excuses. He didn't go to God seeking self-justification. God, my people were bad, but I wasn't. And not all of us are bad. And look at us. No, that's not what he does. He goes there and he says, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant with love and those who love him uh, keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame, and the people of Judah, and it's the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We are, our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord, our God, is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord or God or have kept the laws that he gave us through the servants, through the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses, the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of your God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers and bringing great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem, just as it is written in the laws of Moses All this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate in bringing disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, our God, you fought for your people and you, you brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who have made yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned and we have done wrong, Lord, in keeping all of your righteous acts and in turning away uh, your anger with the holy wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and our iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear, and open your eyes to see the, des- the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because that you are great, and because of your great mercy. Lord, listen and forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. What a prayer. Uh, we go through it. I mean, look at how he, he pours himself out to God. He addresses God, and he makes it very clear that he is not praying to any other, right? He goes to God's very nature and character at the very beginning. You are great and awesome. Here's a man who has lived his entire life in exile, and he's not bitter at God saying, God, why did you do this? He said, you know what, God, you were right. 
You are right. You are a good God, and this is who you are. You're not good because my circumstances are good. You're just simply good. And he knows because God is good, God is honest, and he's going to keep his covenant. That the promises that he read about from Jeremiah were going to be fulfilled because God is good even when we're not. How awesome. And he appeals to this, and it becomes the very basis upon his prayer. And I think we have to start there as Christians. We need to, stop, we need to take God you know, and, and stop uh, prosecuting him. Putting God in the courtroom and saying, all right, God, if my life is good, then of course you're good. But if things, difficult things in my life happen that are bad, then maybe you're not so good, God. We've got to stop that. Think how ridiculous that is. If things are going well in your life, is it going well in everybody's life all over the world? No. Now, I'll tell you, you might have the best day of your life and somebody else is having the worst day of their life because there's a billion of us. There's more than a billion of us. There's lots of people. Does that mean God is good for you and bad for them? Or how about you're having a great day and the next day you have a horrible day. Does all of a sudden God become evil? You recognize that we live in a broken and a fallen world. And there is an enemy of us who is prince of this world. Who do you think that enemy is going to, make, is going to focus his attentions on? The people of God. He's out to make you miserable. He's out to stop you. But so often, we who broke this world wonder why we get cut by it. And then we blame God. I'll tell you this. God is good regardless He is always good, regardless of your circumstance. God is simply good, and you have to start there. Because if you don't start there, you will not believe enough to be able to pray a prayer like this. Because you will be so mad at your circumstance, and you will feel that you are so justified in your pain that you won't go to a God because you don't think he's truly good. But I'll tell you this, God is not like you. He is not good one day and bad the next. He is not fickle. He is not... He is not just a a God who who thinks that he just does whatever is selfish. He is a selfless God. He is a loving God. He is a God who is consistent and good in all places and all times. And we have got to stop prosecuting God. And I think Daniel, if we look in his life, did he have the right to prosecute God? A faithful man who suffered for the Lord his entire life? It wasn't his sin why his people were taken into captivity. And yet he endured all of the things that God said would happen. But was God not good because he brought about the consequences for sin he promised he would? No, God was very good. And he begins with this, the simple reminder that God is good. And I will tell you that in our life, there are times when it's hard to believe God is good because our lives are hard. But there is a peace that comes and a reminder that, you know what, God, you are good. This was a lesson that I had to learn a couple years ago when things in my life were not going great for a very long time, and they kept getting worse. And I kept getting mad at God because I was like, God, if you're so good, how come there's so much pain? How come there's so many bad things that are happening? And I realized that God wasn't based upon my circumstance. God was carrying me through the bad things. And if God wasn't good, where was my hope anyway? Daniel this wise man who walked with the Lord his entire life in the most difficult of circumstances recognized that God was the one who was just. It's where it begins. It's attitude. And I'll tell you, when you begin a prayer of repentance before the Lord, it is very good for us to then start with a reminder of who God truly is. 
it changes the whole thing, doesn't it? If Daniel started the prayer, Lord God, here is your servant, righteous and true, been faithful through all things. God, you owe me. But it wasn't that at all. Let us begin going to God, as Jesus said, when we, how do we pray? When the disciples say, how do we even pray? And he says, pray like this. Here's a way you can start prayer. Our Father is in heaven. Your name be honored. It's important that we recognize who we're speaking to. And then he confesses his sin. There's shame before God. Verses 7 through 9, he gets into there and he's like, you know what? Lord, you're righteous. <laughs> but this day we're covered with shame. And why are they covered with shame? Well, well, because of Jude and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, we, both near and far, all of us, we're all covered with shame. And because we didn't listen to you. You warned us. You told us what is right and what is true and what is good, and we did what we wanted to do instead. And you told us it's going to be the consequence. They've been unfaithful to God. No wonder things had gone south. The greatest lie the enemy told was right at the very beginning with, with Adam and Eve, wasn't it? He said, eat this, the knowledge of fruit of good and evil, and you're going to be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now that means not that they knew it was right and wrong, Both Adam and Eve knew it was wrong to eat the apple or whatever the fruit was. They knew it was wrong. They knew right and wrong. They just agreed with God. The difference was, once they ate that, the poison allowed them to think that they could create their own standard of right and wrong. You know how very few people in the world actually think they're evil? Do you know how many people in the world are actually evil? All of us. That's what Scripture says. It's it's this poison of, of, of Eden. When you see two nations going to war, did either side you like wear your villainous mustaches like I have and, and have like this, you know, this hat and they're like, hey, hey, hey we're evil, we're going to do bad things. No, everybody thinks that they're right. We have to recognize that our rightness is oftentimes wrong, that what we think is good is evil and what we, what we see as evil is oftentimes good. We have to recalibrate our morality based upon God's compass. And he begins with this. The people of Israel, when they wandered, didn't really think that they were being evil. They thought they were being enlightened. They saw God's word and all this, and they started to apply it according to how they thought it should be, not what God said it ought to be. And it led them to destruction. We need to come back to God when it is popular and when it is not popular. We need to use his word to calibrate our souls and our consciences because your conscience is broken. Your moral compass is askew. All of ours is. And he says that he admits it right here, God. We did what we wanted to do, and now we're filled with shame. Our fault, not yours. But God, you, look at that, and in, in, he says, you're, you're righteous, you're forgiving. He appeals to God to give them what they don't deserve. God, be kind to us, not because we deserve it, but because you're the kind of God who actually forgives. And you give other chances. Isn't it awesome we serve a God like this? Because I will tell you that the other gods in this world are not like this. God was willing. He says, I know you're generic because you are good. You're going to be merciful. And he appeals to that. And so then in verses 10 and 11, he basically goes through and he actually lists sin. Because there's one thing to actually say, oh God, we are so evil. It's a whole other thing to say, this is exactly how we're evil. 
And he begins with it, and three times he goes through the sin of Israel, and he, he goes through it, he says, this is what we've done. First one, we have not obeyed the Lord our God by keeping the laws he gave us through the servants, the prophets. We disobeyed. You gave us the word, we didn't listen. All Israel has transgressed your law and it turned away, refusing to obey you. We did what we wanted to do instead of what you wanted us to do. We were disobedient children, doing what we thought was right, not what you said was right. So the first thing he does, he says, we're, we're sinful, not because we weren't doing things, it's because we were doing the wrong things. We disobeyed you. We've ignored your prophets, right? You gave us the prophets, and Jeremiah was a prophet, and guess what? How did he prophesy? He wrote it down. And we still have those today. God tells us exactly what he wants. We didn't know it. We didn't know what they had to say. We ignored them. We're like, hey, the prophets are talking. They're talking bad things, and it's cramping my lifestyle. God is just loving and good. God had actually had told them what he wanted. And it says we broke your laws because we ignored what you told us. It's not as though God was like hiding the law. He told them exactly what it was, and they didn't do it. And then when they did it, they didn't even repent or confess. They weren't even sorry. They're like, we did this, and we apparently know better than God. Although they didn't know what God really wanted because they didn't ever read the scriptures. That was the first problem. And then in verse 12 through 14, he says, all right, God. We've done this. This was our major sin is we didn't listen to you. We didn't follow you. We asked you to follow us, and we want to be blessed regardless of what we did, and we ignored you, and then there, was, we, we, there were all these bad things. But he says, you know what, God? You did exactly what you said you were going to do. You brought pain into my life, and you were right. That's a hard prayer to pray, isn't it? But he does. Verse 12, you have fulfilled the words spoken against us. You didn't make it. God, you weren't up there just waiting to smack us down. You warned us. You said you didn't want this to happen. But everything you said you would do, you did. He's consistent. He's faithful. That makes him a good parent, by the way. You ever thought about when you parent a kid and if, like, if, you're, if you're disciplining them and, and the way you discipline them is just arbitrary? They do one thing one day and it's fine. The next day you smack them. They're going to get upset. But if you tell your kid, these are the rules. Right, And the first time they, they do it because you didn't tell them the rule or whatever, and then you're like, hey, there's a rule there. You need to obey it. But then if they disobey it, then there's discipline. God is like that. He's a good parent. He doesn't just surprise you like, boom, you're bad. He, he says, this is what I expect. Here, you need to obey this. And if you don't, there are going to be consequences. And Daniel said we disobeyed. And guess what? He's a good parent. There were consequences. He doesn't go and argue against God and say, you shouldn't have done these things. If you were so kind and loving, how could you possibly do these horrible things? And he says, you know what? You did exactly what you claimed you would do. And we're facing the consequences. That's a hard place to do. Now, he's doing this for his whole nation. In his own life, personally, yes. But more, this prayer is about his whole nation. And seeing the people that he loved, maybe his parents were executed, which was very likely seeing his friends be carried away, right? being put into a horrible situation, I mean, a very difficult place to live his entire life, all of his hopes and dreams. God said, Mm-mm, there's a different time. <laughs> you live in a, uh, he was just born when he was born. Daniel didn't get to choose. Say, hey, I want to be born during the time of the captivity. That would be great. Right? He was born as a righteous man. And yet he says to God, you know what? You're right. Our people have sinned. And this is the time that I was born and I am part of this people. And it is right for me to face this. Maybe there are times in your life you've been upset about the era in which you've been born. Don't be. God made you and put you here for a reason. How we respond is important. 
Now, he goes on and he he summarizes uh, Israel's sin again. Verse 15, he goes, Now, Lord your God, uh, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, right? You made uh, made yourself a name that endures to this day. Guess what? We have sinned. We have done wrong. God, you were good to us. We were prisoners to the Egyptians. And guess what you did? You freed us. You gave us a whole country and all this. And yet we still turned away from you. We sinned, we acted wickedly. Notice what he does not offer God, excuses. He doesn't say to God, well, you know, it wasn't me. It was those generations before me, and those people were crazy. And by the way, it makes no lot of sense that you have like a temple in one place of the country, and everybody's got to go there, and I don't understand all the sacrifices, anything. And you know what? It's expensive to write your word down and to bring it around all the other places. And so, you know, how could our people be expected to know the law? He doesn't do any of that. He said, you know what, you gave it to us if it was our responsibility to keep it, and we didn't. No excuses. I'll find in my own prayers to God when I'm repenting, I like to give excuses, and to my shame. But I imagine I'm not the only one, and, and oftentimes I have to get beyond those and just take responsibility. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons. Has everything in my life been stacked so I have all the advantages? No! But that does not give me an excuse to be sinful. God is righteous, and his standards are there. God is merciful. He'll help me. But when I start excusing my sins is when I realize that I'm not really repenting. And God says, Daniel says, I don't really want what I want. I want you, God. And he goes there without excuses, and then he has this fourfold, uh, this, uh, fourfold passionate plea. And I love this plea that he gives. First, he says in verse 16, God, take away your anger and your fury. Right? He asks God for all these things. He said, God, regardless, we don't really deserve this, but based upon who you are, and I know that you're going to keep your word, and I know in a couple of years our people are going to go back to, to, <laughs> to get the temple again. We're going to have Jerusalem again. It's going to happen. This is what I'm asking God. Not that we deserve it, but because you are good. He says to him, Lord, keep, uh, in keeping with your righteous acts, turn away your anger and wrath from Jerusalem, from your city, your holy hill. The first thing, he just pleads for mercy. Even when we're wrong, we can go to God and ask for mercy. Isn't that good? Isn't it awesome we don't have to fear God, say, you know what, God, we've done all these wicked things, and I guess you just have to torch us. <laughs> it's okay to go to God and say, you know, I messed up, and he will hear you. If you... If you seek the Lord, if you turn from your wicked ways instead of saying they're okay, if you actually turn back to God and seek his face, you confess the sin, then guess what he will do? He will hear you with mercy. And that's what he does. And and Daniel, who I think was so connected to the heart of God, he pleads to God for just mercy. He says, turn away your anger. It's really hard to have a relationship with somebody if they're mad at you. You ever realize that? You know, even if they forgive you, if they're mad at you, it's hard to, to have a relationship. You know what's one of the most amazing things that Jesus did to us on the cross? It says he propitiated us, propitiated. I think that's a great word because nobody ever uses it, right? But on the cross, what it means is propitiation means it takes you replacing wrath with friendship. See, on the cross, Jesus, who, who did nothing wrong, he says, treat me like I did everything wrong. And he took the full blow of God's wrath. And it wasn't just just, because God could have just executed Jesus and you know, had him executed and just killed him, right? 
but there was anger that was there. Because when you violate a relationship, there's anger that's there, just anger. And God took all of that wrath that was, you deserve to have it, by the way. I mean, God should be mad at you, right, for the things that we've done. You've done things, you've used his name wrong, you've ignored his commands, you've done all kinds of things that, that you've hurt other people in your life. Am I the only one? Right? God should be mad at you. But what Jesus did is he took that anger, that wrath, and God expended it right there on the cross. There's no more wrath left for you. And instead, it says that you get the fellowship, the friendship of God, the smiling face. God can't be mad at you anymore. The closest thing in my life that I could, I could put this to emotionally for me is when I was a, a, in high school, I was a very young Christian going through there, and I had a really bad temper, like really bad. Like I threw my friend, friends through walls a couple times, right? Um, I got kicked out of basketball for the remainder of my high school career because I had a bad temper, right? I had a bad temper. And I knew it was wrong, and I wanted to change and all this. And my dad did something really nice for me. He bought me a punching bag, a, a boxing bag, one of those big body bags. He kind of put up and put it in the garage, which was attached to my bedroom. And uh, when I would get mad, I would go and I would just beat that thing, right? I would just pop, 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 pop. And eventually, there was just no more anger left, right? That just took all of the energy away, right? And then I could go and I could deal with the person because I was just spent. That, to me, is like a very small picture because I was still in my back of my mind thinking I would have their face on the bag while I was punching it, right? But... But God expended his anger. There's no wrath left for you. If you ever feel like God's mad at you, he can't be. Once you have accepted God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he cannot be mad at you anymore. He took that anger, that wrath, placed it on Jesus. Think how amazing that is. God doesn't look at you with this, he can't. And that's exactly what, what Daniel was praying for. God, I know we deserve your wrath, but the first thing, make the relationship right. Even before anything else, God, just... Is there a way that you cannot be mad at us? And God provided a way. And then he says, God, I want you to, do this. I want you to hear my prayer. Isn't that the next thing? So God, now turn your wrath away so you can actually hear what we're saying. Be merciful to us. Yeah, we, I know we don't deserve it, but God, we love you, and I know that you love us. And for your sake, for, because of who you are, you, we have soiled your name. We went out and acted poorly even though we carry your name and then you punished us and everybody in the world thinks that you're a mean God because you punish people who carry your name. And that's not right. We deserve it, yes. But we, we love you enough, God. We want you to have something different. You should be glorified for who you are. And so he said, God, listen. Would you hear this, this simple request? Would you listen to me even though I don't deserve it? And God does. Because... As Jesus said, you're no longer slaves, you're friends. You're no longer orphans, you're children. God loves you, and he loves to listen to you. I think about times when my son comes home from school, when he comes and he just wants to talk, and my son likes to talk. I remember when he was young, I used to tell my ears were full because I just couldn't, couldn't hear anymore, but he loves to talk, and one of the best things that I have, even when he's done something wrong, I want to hear him. God wants to hear from you. He doesn't want you to be righteous first and then come to him. He wants you to recognize that you need him, and he wants you to go to him. And that's what this prayer was all about. He said, God, listen to me. And he says, the next thing he has is, God, cause your face to shine in your sanctuary. 
know what that means? Can God's face shine on the sanctuary if there's no sanctuary? No. That's pretty easy. I know that you're going to bring us back, but when you do, God, and where the sanctuary is going to be rebuilt, would you change us in such a way, God, that, that you find joy in what happens there, that we're not going to defile that place? Think about your life and the way that you live. Can you ask God to find you? You know, the word says that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. They say, God, even though I've done some bad things, because of who you are, you turn, thank you, you can actually say, because Jesus has already come and he's done it. He, thank you for turning your, your anger away and for listening to me. Would you find joy in here, in my life? Would you change what needs to be changed? Would you purify what needs to be purified? Would you not just restore me, but redeem me? And he does. And then I love verse 18 because it's just exactly where I am when I pray to God because I've got my own time frame. Lord, Listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act. What a simple request. You don't have to. He's not commanding God, but he's like, if you would, just listen. Would you hear? But then would you do these things? Would you forgive? Would you take what I've done and, and somehow deal with it so that it's not standing between me and you anymore? And Jesus did that on the cross, didn't he? He took your sin, the things that, that, that needed to be punished, and allow God to punish them. So that way, you wouldn't have to be. But then, not delay. God is eternal, but you're not. Think about how long you're going to live on this earth. A blip. We're talking about prophecies that were made thousands and thousands of years ago. Think how many people have lived between now and then. Right? We are tiny in the scope of, of history, yet we get to live from this point with God forever. And so you are very significant at the same time. And yet our time here, our time to, to be able to be restored to God, he says, God, I don't want there to be a, a, a wedge between us anymore. Can you forgive me now? And I love that in God there's no bureaucracy. He's not like Daniel sent up this prayer and then it had to go through the different angels and the saints and they looked through it and said, yes, it's got the right things. And eventually it goes to the throne room of God. And then God looks at it and says, okay, yep, I guess I will do that. And so in 30 days, here's your warning that we're going to be friends again. It doesn't happen like that. God wants to forgive you. He wants to restore you. He wants to have right relationship with you, right? And not in the future, but now. A fresh start with God can happen now. Think how cool that is. Nothing in our world works this way. But with God, it does. Even when you make your friend mad or your spouse mad, and they say, will you forgive me because you're awesome and I know I messed up, and usually the, the spouse or the friend will say, yeah, I'll forgive you, but it takes a couple days to kind of cool off or whatever. And It's not so with God because he's eternal and his love is eternal. And he's different than you and me. And yes, now, would you not delay? Would you make this happen? And did God do it? Yeah, he did. And he does. I think this is one of the most beautiful prayers that you will find. It's one that we hate to pray, but it's one that we need to, isn't it? I think this prayer is a classic example of how we are to ask for forgiveness for sins. How do we seek reconciliation with God? Right? If you know that your life is out of whack, you're doing things your way, not God's way, to go to him, instead of excuse it, just say, this is what it is. And yep, I'm wrong. But because you're good, would you restore me? And he will. Scripture says that God is always looking for a sincere, contrite heart. He's waiting there to restore you and to redeem you. 
I think this prayer talks to about when we go to God, we need to prepare ourselves first with humility. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Humble. Go to God not based upon, I've done all these great things for you, God, therefore would you listen to me? But God, you're good. Would you please listen to me? And I, even though I've done all these bad things, humble your heart. Acknowledge your sin. God already knows it anyway, right? It's not like he's surprised. It's not you said, Lord, I told a lie and I feel really bad. And he's like, what? You lied? He's not that way. He's like, yeah, I know you did. And I know you hurt this person. I know you didn't keep your word there. And I know that you were looking at things you shouldn't have been looking at. And I know that you treated people poorly that you shouldn't have been. I know you cheated. I know you did all kinds of bad things. God knows already. In fact, he probably knows a whole lot more things that you've done wrong that you probably don't even know they're wrong because you live according to your moral compass. <laughs> but he'll still listen to you. He still wants to forgive you. So we go to God not based on self-righteousness, which a lot of people think if I'm good enough, then I can go to church. No, no, no. <laughs> we have to recognize we're not good enough, and that's exactly why we come. Because God is always good, even when we're not. And then we seek forgiveness based upon God's loving mercy. That's why we have to start with God being good. That's the only way we can get there is know that even though we're bad, he is always good, always good, always loving. And he will always do what's right. And so we go to to God because of who he is. What a prayer. You know, Daniel identified his people with his people with their sins too. I think it's important for us because we live in a nation that... There's a lot of diversity and a lot of understanding of what is right and wrong, don't we? And Daniel didn't separate himself from his people and said, I didn't do those things. He said, I was one of those people, and our culture did this. And so you're right, and you brought these consequences. He identified with them. There's a difference between personal guilt and corporate guilt. Daniel didn't say, I personally did these things. He says, my people have done these things, and I'm part of it. And therefore, it makes sense that I face these consequences. I think that's why in Scripture it talks about we're supposed to be salt and light. In our culture, it says, I love that promise that we read in, in, in uh, our, our memory verse today in Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. We have the ability to make an impact that even those who don't know the Lord will benefit from. Isn't that amazing? God will give mercy not based upon what our culture deserves because of who he is. But we've got to start. We are called by his name, Christian, right? If we want our nation to be healed, we've got to start by humbling ourselves and praying and seeking God's face and turning from our wicked ways. We can't point our finger out and say, those pagans do all of these horrible things, God. We've got to start here and say, God, where are the horrible things that I'm part of? How can I be different? How do I change my life? How do I love my, my family? How do I act responsibly and honorably? How do I, God, give you the right name? How do I live according to your ethics and morals? God, help me humble myself and pray. God, you, what you have is right, not what I think. Be salt and light. And, and the whole culture is benefited. Even those that right now are enemies of God, we're supposed to pray and help them. This is one way that we do that. And so we intercede on behalf of our culture, not just through prayers, but through lives of repentance. There's power in it, isn't it? There's a lot of power in that. So, how do we practice this? I got some ideas for first steps, next steps. I think the first thing that you can do is you can, if you take out your connection cards, I've got some ideas on the back there. The first thing we can do is memorize Second Chronicles 7.14. Why would we want to memorize that? Because it gives us a good outline, doesn't it? 
God telling us, if you want to see change, this is where it begins. If my people, are you his people? (laughs) If you humble yourselves and you pray and you seek his face and turn from your wicked ways, that's what we need to do. That's our part. Then God will hear. So in your life, I mean, we start with this. It tells us where we're at, right? What do we need to do? And I love it because it's so much less just pointing out the sins in others and it's saying, God, please, Lord, show me where I'm missing it. Change me so that I can be better witness for you so I can find that, start living my life more consistent for you. I'm not going to ignore your prophets. I'm not going to ignore your word. That's where it begins. So maybe you start by memorizing. Or maybe what you do is you want to read this chapter yourself. That's another great place to go. I think oftentimes when we read the word, it feeds our soul. It gives us the direction and guidance that we need. This is the words of the prophets. Don't ignore it. Or maybe what you need to do is to fast and to pray and to repent. And that's what you commit to this week. Follow Daniel's footsteps. You say, I have not done anything wrong. Well, yeah, you have. All of us have, right? So there's going to be something. But also go to God with honesty, not out of just self-righteousness. Because say, God, you know what? I know as a people in our country, we, we do a lot of good things, but God, we do a lot of bad things too. And we've turned away from you and fast. And that means like go without food for a while, maybe a day, right? Maybe two. Go to God and say, God, I need you. I want you more than I even want my own food. Before I want to be comfortable, I want to be uncomfortable the way that I should be to recognize I'm dependent upon you first. And pray. Take some time as you fast and say, God, give my heart right. Feed me from your word. Let me see what I've done so that way I can truly confess what's wrong. Show me what's, what you want. And confess when he tells when you. When God shows you something that you have off, then just tell him. Say, oh, okay, that was wrong. I need to be different. And I don't even know how to be different, but I know that you can help me. So ask for mercy. Maybe that's where you are this week as you begin to apply this. And I think Christians... Those of us who are called by his name, this is kind of what we need to do. One of the best things we can do for our, our fellow Americans, for our country, but for the people, our neighbors, one of the biggest things that we can do. We want our nation and our land to be healed. How about this? Maybe you want to join the prayer team. Right now, our prayer team is a group of, of believers in this church who said, uh, you know, there are going to be prayer requests, and I'm going to pray for them when they come in every week. So it's not just me praying for you, but there's a group of people lifting up prayers. And it's on a prayer chain. You get on the email thing. When the prayers come out, we send it to you, and we, we expect you to pray for those things. Bring them to God. It is really important. You see the power of prayer? If, if that's you, if you say, you know, I, I want to be able to go to God and, and seek his face and, and, and to, to turn from wicked ways, but actually talk to him, maybe that's where you join, and we'll, we'll make sure you have your connection stuff on there. If you have an email, it's the best way for us to contact you with the prayer stuff. Um, and uh, join that. Maybe there's a different commitment that you need to make. Let me know those things. We'll be praying for you this week. If you have a prayer request, always get to lift those up. And, and it's great to see how God answers those. In just a minute, we're going to take our offering. If you would take these connection cards. Every one of you, drop it in the offering basket as it's passed, along with your tithes, your gifts. And uh, make that your, your commitment to our wonderful, eternal, and good God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for you and your love and your kindness, your mercy and your righteousness. Thank you for what Christ has done for us on the cross, taking away your wrath, taking away our guilt, taking away our shame, removing every barrier that, stand, that stood between us and you, not because we deserved it, but precisely because we did not, and we could not have earned it. 
And you did it because you're good and you're merciful. You did it because you created us to be loved and not objects of wrath. So, Father, I pray that you would give us, your church, those here that are called by your name, the wisdom and the courage, like Daniel, to seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. Father, we pray for this town in Estes, Father, that you would remove the darkness. Father, that uh, the light of the good news of Christ and what you've done and the reconciliation that is available in Jesus and the hope and the life and the healing that come in him would reach every person that lives here. Father, not because uh, we we deserve it, but Father, because you are good and you deserve it. We want to see your name magnified because you are awesome. And so, Father, I pray for our commitments that we've made today. Each one of us, help us keep them in a way that honors you. Father, I also want to pray, Lord, for our tithes and our offerings, investments in your kingdom, knowing that you're the eternal one and that you build your kingdom in us and through us. So, Father, I pray that you would take this as great gift that we have to be able to to invest in your kingdom. Help us to use those things wisely according to your plans and your uh, your priorities. And Father, in all these things, we pray that... uh, We pray that you would show us your mercy, Lord, and that you would do good things here. We ask this in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.